0: Everybody has a topic on the exam that they really just don't like. Whether it's hand therapy or psych or neuropedes, whatever it is, everybody's got a kryptonite. Well, I've got your secret weapon. If you're enjoying the podcast, I've been putting out video courses called 450 Formula. They're designed to make these giant, complex, difficult topics as simple and easy as possible, just like the podcast. You get all the big ideas, the foundational information, and you walk away with simple, easy mnemonics that make remembering everything a breeze. So if you're looking for a little extra help on those big bad topics, or you just want to knock them all out together, then head over to 450formula.com and take a look. There's some free videos where you can get a good feel for how it works. Check it out and get your 450. Hang in there. Hey, welcome back to the OT Examper Podcast with me, Miles. Today we'll be talking about burns. It's going to be part one of two. Part two should be coming out next week. It won't be as long of a wait as it has been for this episode to come out. My apologies, but Life happens. Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you are looking for the study guides, head on over to the website, otexamperber.com. Otherwise, if you've already subscribed, then check your inbox. They should be in there. Last but not least, a very big thank you to anybody who rated and reviewed the podcast since the last time. Um, Really, that is super awesome. Just your guys' kind words always just blow me away. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If any of you listening right now have a second to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you're listening it would mean a lot. So thank you so, so much, and uh, let's get to it. All right, talking about burns. So we're gonna cover this in two sections. Um, I went ahead and (laughs) I figured it would be good to talk about like burns generally, kind of the, the basic overview and general principles about burns. And then also like a burn rehab timeline. So what OT's role in sort of each step along the way of recovering from a burn. Um, But that was a lot of information to tackle in one episode. So we're going to do it in two parts. So this is the first part, and it's general uh, information about burns kind of setting the stage, talking about um, general things that OT's focus on and deal with, and then a couple ways to remember that stuff. And then hopefully next week should be part two, and that'll be the rehab timeline, giving you some easy ways to remember uh, what OTs kind of focus on and when in the whole recovery process. So first up, we're going to talk about um, the levels for a burn. So usually, like the layperson will talk about this as first degree, second degree, third degree burns, but in the medical field, we like to be a little more specific than that. So here's a good time to mention right here is that there is a study guide for this. And so if you haven't gotten those, go to otexamprepper.com. You can sign up for it. Or if you already have signed up, it should be in your inbox. But for this in particular, I think the little visual would be really helpful. So we have to talk about what, um, what level of burn corresponds with the anatomy. So obviously with a burn, the deeper that burn penetrates into your body, into your skin, the more damage is going to have happened. So the deeper the burn, the worse it is. Typically, you know, first, second, third degree burn, How we talk about that. First degree would be just like a burn. It looks like a sunburn. It might be red. Second degree burn there would be like blistering. And then third degree burn, it would be charred. And um, you wouldn't have any more pain at that point because the nerves have been burnt out. Um, So that's sort of a, a brief overview. And all that stuff is true, but we like to break it down a little bit more. So a first-degree burn is synonymous with a superficial burn, and this is going to affect the outermost layer of your skin, the epidermis only. So your skin is composed of three layers. There's the epidermis, which is the very outside layer that you can touch and see. Then below that, there is the dermis. That's where most of the functional aspects of the skin are, so that's like where hair follicles, sweat glands, nerve endings, all that stuff is in the dermis. And then down in the subcutaneous layer, that's where it's uh, it's mostly comprised of like fat and connective tissue. This is really the insulation, like the ins- insulatory, I guess, layer of the skin. And then deep to that is where you'd have muscle and all that other stuff, right? Even bone. So um, that's the layers of the skin. So a superficial burn, again, only affects the epidermis. And that would be what we'd call a first degree burn. Um, second degree burns are composed of partial thickness burns and there's two kinds we call them superficial and deep so a superficial partial thickness burn we call it partial thickness because it's burnt partially part way through the dermis again that second layer of skin so a superficial partial thickness layer sorry partial thickness burn has affected and damaged uh, part way through the dermis probably about half or less right so that more superficial that area of the dermis. And then a deep partial thickness burn has gone beyond that. It's gone through more than half of the dermis. So those are both, um, they'd be marked by like blistering. Again, we'd call them a second degree burn. Uh, and they're very painful, increasingly painful actually. So nerve endings exist in the dermis. That's where they end, um, and provide those sensory organs. But even though they, you know, they may have been slightly damaged or affected, but they're very... (laughs) agitated to say the least. So a burn that's that's penetrated down into the dermis um, is very painful. So these superficial and partial th- and d- superficial partial thickness and deep partial thickness burns are very painful. Next we'd get into these what we'd call a third degree burn and that's where the burn has affected and destroyed the epidermis and the entirety of the dermis. So that's a full thickness burn. You've burned through the epidermis and the dermis. All of those structures are damaged or destroyed. You no longer have any pain. Those nerve endings have been sufficiently damaged where they no longer function. So at, at the site of this, again, full thickness burn, there'll be no pain, but that's actually much worse because that means so many of the structures have been damaged that that's no longer functioning. And then even worse than that, would be this subdermal burn. So that's where we've gone through the epidermis, through the dermis, and we've gone through part of something beneath that. So that could be partway through the subcutaneous layer, which again is this fatty connective tissue layer that does a lot of insulation. So you could burn you know, into there, affecting that level, or you could go even deeper. This burn could expose or even damage muscle, nerves, and even bone. So obviously that is the worst most severe level of a burn and it's not really specific about exactly how far it goes it's just basically saying you went through all the skin and partway through some other stuff and so that is bad <laughs> that is really bad so again superficial only affects the epidermis superficial partial thickness affects part of the dermis deep partial thickness affects more of the dermis but not all A full thickness burn affects the epidermis and dermis in its entirety, and you've lost sensation. You can't feel any pain at that point. And a subdermal burn has gone beyond just the epidermis and dermis. Okay, cool. So we've set the stage for what different burns, you know, what we call these different burns and what they mean, how severe they are. Now we're going to talk about um, positioning. So after a burn... (laughs) All these structures have been damaged so there's a couple different things that we really need to pay attention to. Um, obviously skin is the outside layer of your skin of your body it's very flexible there's a lot of properties about skin that are very important. It's like it's an insulation it monitors your body heat it also uh, keeps all the water in and it it does all these different things. It's also very flexible it's very kind of delicate it's like very um, elastic almost. So it does a lot of things, it allows us to move and allows our body to do what it needs to do. So uh, there's a lot of trouble that happens when a significant portion of your skin has been damaged. And one of the big, big things is that it's going to try to heal, and the healing process is messy. There's a lot of scar tissue formation involved and some other, anyway, there's some other stuff that goes on. The skin doesn't typically retain its same properties. And that's fine if it's like a small, small area, like a little cut or something, a little scar tissue doesn't really matter. But if it's over a significant portion of your body, that's bad. If you like left un, uh, unaddressed, if you, you're going to heal in whatever position that you're in, and that's not a good position because the position of maximum comfort, which is definitely the position that the patient will present to the hospital with, is typically the exact opposite of the position that we want them to be in to ensure that their long-term recovery, that they can have full range of motion and full function. So not a pleasant situation for them because the situation, the position they're comfortable in is the exact one we cannot allow them to be in for any like extended period of time but that's the brakes. So we're gonna remember, so there's a lot of things about positioning. There are these big grids on a bunch of study guides I've seen that you know say X degrees of elbow, flexion, whatever degrees of hip, all this stuff. That's hard to remember. What is easy to remember is just a little picture or like an image in your head of someone doing that uh, position. So the touch points, these like visual mnemonics we're going to use here are one, Titanic, the Titanic pose with Rose on the front of the ship with her arms outstretched to the sides while Jack holds on behind her and the Vitruvian man, which that you might not recognize that by name, but I promise you, you know what this is. It's a picture by Leonardo da Vinci. It's a little sketch. Of a man he's standing facing you, he's naked, and his arms are outstretched and there's a big circle drawn around him it's kind of like this geometry of the human body, so his arms are outstretched, and then his uh his legs he's actually like superimposed two images of himself, so he's got his arms straight outstretched to the sides and then slight again slightly up above that. And then his legs kind of standing in neutral. And then his hips abducted. So his legs are kind of sticking out to the side like he's jumping and taking a funny picture. Or like doing a jumping jack kind of thing. So that is the Vitruvian Man and then Titanic. Between those two things, they're kind of similar with those arms outstretched, which is an important part of it. But we're going to think of two. uh, There's like some specifics about each one that will help us remember all of the positions that we need to know. So... Titanic, we're going to picture Rose with her arms outstretched and her chin up, her head back. You can think of like, yeah, I couldn't find any pictures for actually doing this in the movie, so I'm not sure if she does, but that's how I always picture it. It's her arms outstretched and then her chin up, her head tilted back, probably her eyes closed like she's just enjoying the moment, kind of feeling the breeze, right? So that's how I want you to picture that. And then the Vitruvian man, the most important thing to remember are, again, that those legs are kind of sticking out to the side a little bit. So why are we remembering this? Anti-contracture positioning is the like default positioning that we want any sort of burn victim with uh, burns affecting especially that area of the body to be in, generally, There are exceptions, but we'll get to that in a second. So for like the upper body, again, we want these arms straight out to the side. So that's like 90 degrees of uh, shoulder abduction, very straight elbows, so like full extension basically. And then uh, the hands are a little tricky to see and remember with this, but we'll get to that in a second as well. It's going to be anti-deformity or anti-contracture splinting posture, um, which we'll get to. But we want these arms straight out to the side and we want the chin up and back because we want the neck in extension. If you have a burned like the neck area, um, it'd be again most comfortable to have your chin down flexed, but we want it up and back to kind of get maximum uh, surface area on that part of the body. So you would not use a pillow. There's going to be two parts of the body this is important for. You can remember no pillows. Uh, So no pillows underneath the head we want maybe like a rolled up towel, kind of low back beneath their head, like right supporting their neck. So that way the top, their chin is up, the top of their head can be resting on the bed, but their neck is supported so that it's in that extension posture. So that's for the upper body. Then for the lower body, again, we've got the Vitruvian man. His legs are slightly out to the side. That's because you want the hips to be in slight abduction. Not too much, maybe like 15 degrees or so, but we want them out in case there were any like burns to the groin area or something like that. You would want to maintain sort of that, that region of the body. And then, um, you want those knees in full extension. So again, no pillows. If someone had a burned their legs, you definitely would not Uh, make them more comfortable like you do with many patients by putting like pillows under their knees or a lot of hospital beds will automatically have um, like the the lower part of the bed will kind of do that v-shape upside down v-shape to make the legs more comfortable but none of that we're going to have straight legs no pillows And then the ankles should be relatively neutral. Again, the Vitruvian man, he's just standing there. We want those feet in neutral, maybe even just a touch of dorsiflexion, like not too much, just five degrees or so, because we don't want to get any foot drop. But that's sort of a generic uh, precaution for people who are spending a lot of time in bed. And if you have a burn over most of your body, that's you. So that's how we're going to remember the positioning. So moving on to the hands specifically, and this is uh, something that's another, there's a sort of special considerations to make about positioning of the hands. So if you remember back to the splinting episode, we talked about remembering different splints with like these sock puppet or little like, like hand positions uh, reminiscent of animals, right? So we talked about the alligator being anti-deformity. He's very picky about who he eats. So that's this, this splint. This is the one we're using. So again, that's where the MCPs are in about 90 degrees of flexion, your first knuckles, right? And then your, uh, your IPs, both sets, uh, PIP and DIP, they are in full extension. They are stick straight. So your fingers are stick straight, but they're, they're bent down uh, at those first knuckles, your MCPs. And then your thumb is kind of out in opposition with your web space nice and kind of stretched out. And you can think about how that would, you know, if you had a you know, burn anywhere, that would, that's how you want your hand position to heal, so you've got room in that web space, you've got your, your fingers out straight so they don't get stuck, burnt, and then you don't want your, uh, especially if there's a burn to the dorsal part of the hand, you want that flexion at the MCPs. Trouble is, exactly in that situation, if there is a burn to the dorsal uh, area of the hand, sort of like opposite your palm, right, the back of your hand you can have damage to the extensor tendon hood. Remember, those extensor muscles run all the way down that back of your forearm. They run across your wrist, through your hand, and up into your fingers. So, if that that whole kind of combination structure, if there's a burn back there, it could be damaged. And we absolutely have to take precaution to not... Uh, do composite flexion, which is basically any flexion of the IPs, especially in conjunction with flexion of the MCPs. So just basically keep those fingers straight all the time until a surgeon or doctor uh, clears the extensor tendon hood to be like, okay, that we can start to do some range of motion with those fingers. There's other parts of the body are not this specific. This is special. So we call it boutonniere precaution. But the easiest way to remember it is just the position of that anti-deformity splint, right? So absolutely no flexion of those uh, IPs, just a little bit of flexion of those MCPs. That is the position. You are not to break that until a surgeon uh, uh, clears the extensor tendon hood to be uh, okay to be moved. General rules for splinting, otherwise, um, include, so again, this anti-deformity, anti-contracture positioning of the whole body, Vitruvian Man, Titanic, and then including what we just talked about with hands. General rules, that is the default, but it can deviate from that a little bit, but not as much as you would think. In general, obviously, so if an area that's burned, it's more likely that that area of the skin is going to be end up like tighter. So, if like the armpit area was burned and you did not have them out with that like 90 degrees um, of shoulder uh, abduction, then over time, it's going to cause a contracture through that area and they will not be able to abduct their arm. So the general rule is you want to maximize surface area of the the affected area. So now imagine remember we talked about how we want those arms kind of stick straight. We want those elbows in full extension. But let's say you just had a burn, kind of that elbow area, so it's crossing over the region of your elbow that um, extending it actually bring like minimizes the surface area of that of that part of your body. So in that case, you would probably not be in full extension. The doc again, the surgeon would probably direct this you would probably not be in full extension. You'd be in, in slight flexion. So again, it won't be as dramatic as you think. You almost certainly will not be splinting this person into full elbow flexion, but it would be maybe, you know, 15 degrees or something in that, in that neighborhood. Again, surgeon's discretion, but just know that like, it's no, it's not, it's not like regardless of the position of the burn, um, you will be in this position. You'll just be close to this position, and this is definitely the default to remember. So, oh, and then last note about splinting. Um, there are a lot of precautions about burns, but in my opinion, they are all very common sense. So, splinting, let's say you had a burn to the palmar aspect of your hand and wrist. Now, we've got this anti deformity posture. That's still what we want that wrist to be in, but, and that wrist and hand to be in, but, the typical splint for that goes right on top of that site of the burn. That's not what we want. If we can avoid it, we would prefer to have a dorsal aspect splint, so a dorsal uh, antideformity splint, so it would run up the back side of that, again, the dorsal side of the hand, and it would hold that hand in the same position. It would just do it differently so that the splint wouldn't have to be in direct contact with this uh, burn site. That seems really common sense to me. Like, we don't want to apply pressure to this wound area. The only exception is when the burn is, we call it circumferential, or it affects like all 360 degrees of that part of the body. So if this person had a burn that spanned the front and back of their hand, you would just use the most typical splint. So again, that would be that palmar aspect anti-deformity splint. Um, So that's sort of your fallback there. Okay. And that is pretty much the basics for for splinting. That's most everything you should need to know to kind of get everything figured out about positioning and splinting. Some other of these no-brainer uh, things to remember, precautions, so to speak, would be like, you don't want to use thermal modalities on a burn, right? This person has just had their skin compromised, and one of the main uh, jobs of skin is to sort of insulate, hold in heat. So if a significant portion of that has been damaged, your ability to to regulate that is decreased. So putting a big old ice pack right on top of, I mean, obviously, right on top of this like big, really painful, like large area of their body wound is not a good idea. So like just use some common sense. If that seems like a bad idea. Almost certainly is. So don't do that. Other than this, okay. So last thing I want to talk about for these generals we're going to cover today is what I call the OT burn checklist. So this is just a quick acronym to help you sort of organize your thoughts when you're thinking about burns. These are the five most important, most sort of generic things that OTs deal with in regards to um, burn recovery. So the acronym is FIRES, which is appropriate for burns. F-I-R-E-S. So F is for feeling. This relates to uh, both sensory function I mean, obviously if these nerves are damaged, that's something that we would evaluate and try to deal with in terms of this person's function, but also especially pain management early on in the process and all throughout really pain and a person's ability to cope with it, um, deal with it. And then also later on, there's some like hypersensitivity type stuff that happens, um, Dealing with a person's ability, you know, their their sensory experience of this whole burn process is a major part of recovery for all disciplines. We're trying to minimize that as much as possible while still getting things done that we need to, but respecting that pain and kind of helping them manage it is a big part of, of burn recovery and OTs are involved in it. So that's F, feeling. I is for independent and that's obviously, you know, we're OTs. We're going to be dealing with ADLs. We want to get this person back to living their life um, independently and as meaningfully as possible. So, uh, obviously, all the ADLs that they're that they were doing and are now having difficulty with are important priorities. But also, they're going to have some new ADLs to, to uh, manage, based based around like their skin care or splint management. If they're going to go home, you need to continue this stuff for one to two years typically for a significant burn. So. Uh, For this person to go home, they or their family, you know, some combination of that needs to be able to continue all the things they need to do daily to continue to manage uh, the recovery of this burn. Uh, So that's I for independent. R is range of motion. And this relates to positioning and splinting, like we talked about, from the first moment of a burn victim's experience with their recovery positioning and splinting are of critical importance. So from the first to like the beginning to the end, that is a major priority and something that OT should really be on top of because we can uh, know how that's going to affect their long-term recovery, the long-term function. That's R, range of motion. E is for edema. And so this obviously edema, your skin is sort of like uh, a water balloon. It keeps the water in. Um, So if you have compromised skin integrity, then you can get all kinds of weird issues with swelling and all that stuff. Your blood pressure can do all kinds of crazy. So edema itself is important, but this also um, sort of indicates compression um, generally. There'll be, compression will be like a long-term aspect of this person's recovery process, even if it isn't directly related to edema itself. So for example, for scar management, We're gonna have. We'll talk about this more next week, but we'd have compression ongoing again for the duration of this recovery, which could be like one to two years. So compression is a big, big deal, whether it's directly for edema or for some longer term things like scar management. We're gonna remember that um, all all encompassed in this one letter E for edema, even if it's not specifically about edema. The stuff that we would do for edema may continue on because it serves other benefits. And then S is skincare. So that's like lubrication and massage, um, helping this person, you know, like we talked about these other ADLs they have to get used to. Um, there's a lot of care that goes into, again, this long-term recovery for this burn. You need to make sure that the skin is in good condition. Um, and you need to uh, make sure that the scar formation is not, um, headed down a path that's going to limit this person's function, we want to counteract that as much as possible. Um, there's a lot of different little things we do with the skin, and uh, yeah, so that's just you know whether that's lubrication like lotions and stuff like that, massage to help the scar formation be more amenable to motion, or um, like sensitization stuff. All this is is uh, the skincare kind of regiment that we that we train people in. So those are the five things. Fires, F-I-R-E-S, feeling, independent, range of motion, edema, and skin care. So that's a quick uh, five-item checklist that encompasses almost all of the things that OTs do um, with their, kind of prioritize with burn victims. So there you go. We will be coming back. I'll get back to you guys next week with the timeline with all this stuff. We're going to use this acronym there too to kind of um, narrow down uh, help you have a, just an easy way to remember kind of what happens when um, how the priorities shift over the course of recovery but until then uh, I hope this was helpful so again uh, be sure to check out the website otexamprepper.com hit, get the study guides if you haven't already also there's a Facebook group OT exam uh, OT exam prepper study group on Facebook so feel free to check out there ask me questions um, if I missed anything or there's something I should add uh, hit me up so anyway you guys rock. Uh, keep on keeping on. Uh, I know it's rough, but you guys got this. Okay. See you later. Last but not least, music this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. I love you, Kevin.